Welcome to the Shades of Hope podcast. This is a frank conversation between two friends who care deeply about the case for racial justice as it's presented in the gospel. In this podcast, we'll cover where racial justice shows up in the Bible, why it's important for pastors to be in conversation, God's urgency for this work, and how the church can start conversations for the work of racial justice. Hello and welcome again to our Shades of Hope podcast. I am Pastor Clarence C. Moore, right here in the great city of Indianapolis, and I'm here with my partner and brother from another mother, Pastor Jeff Krzyzewski. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm good, Pastor Moore. How are you doing? Hey, we're doing good. We're doing good. It's always a blessing to be with you. Yes. I believe these conversations are not only relevant, but I think they're sacred. Mm. And so I'm just ecstatic that we're here once again. You know, the last time we were together, we talked about how to start a conversation around race in our churches. And I hope that we were able to enlighten some brothers and sisters in that arena. But today we want to get a little bit more practical as we began to talk about some of the practical steps that one can take as churches began to think about collaborating with those that may not look like them, but are part of the same body that we call the body of Christ. And so uh, looking forward to our time together. We hope that you will uh, go ahead and share this podcast with your friends and family so that we can get the word out that there is hope for our culture and for our world. So Pastor, Pastor Jeff, Hmm. What do you think of some of the practical steps that you and I have taken in order to involve both of our churches as we've headed down this road together? Yeah, I think the number one key for me has been your commitment to our friendship and to have a friend that we can walk this road with. And particularly as you start to think about bringing churches together, I think the church goes as the leaders go, right? And so absolutely, when we're committed to the work and when we're committed to the relationship, we model for our congregation what we're hoping that they are able to experience as well. And so I just think it starts with us, you know, making that commitment. Absolutely. And guess what? To all of our listeners, you may not believe this. I have not preached at Jeff's church and he has not preached in my church. We have started uh, this collaboration in a very unique way. Instead of exchanging pulpits, we've kind of sat down and crossed coffee and began just to get to know one another. And to this day, we have not yet had a chance to preach in each other's pulpit. Of course, the pandemic hurt us too, but we went kind of a non-traditional way, Jeffrey, of starting our relationship and our collaboration. Yeah. And I think the question sometimes is, at least sometimes from white pastors, we think sometimes collaboration but we mean just kind of token steps mm. toward trying to demonstrate something publicly, but not really being committed substantively to knowing what we're trying to accomplish. And I think you've been very helpful in this and that you've not allowed us to kind of move in that wind, I would say window dressing kind of way, <laughs> pulpit exchanges, choir exchanges, you know, those sorts of things which can be very simple to do. They can project something that may not actually be a reality. And I think, you know, just 
frankly, you've had experience where that has been ways that churches have wanted to relate with you. Yeah. And I think it was really helpful for me to hear from you how that makes you feel when that's the approach. Why don't you share a little bit about just, I mean, there's a word for this. And why don't you just share a little bit about, you know, how does it make you feel when white congregations want to just, maybe a bad way to say it, but just use you for certain ends of their own? Yeah. And they may not mean that, Mm -hmm. but I think that there, this tokenism is the word that I feel sometimes. And I have been in churches where literally when I finished preaching, there was a standing ovation. Mm. But my wife came to the second service of that same church as a black woman and felt so unwelcomed. Mm. And so there's something to be said about the dichotomy of that experience. And, And she said to me, why would you go there and preach in that environment? And of course, I couldn't answer that question. I, I was I was really hurt and shocked that she felt so unwelcome. Mm-hmm. Um, if they had known that she was wearing a sign saying, I'm Pastor Clarence Moore's wife, that might have been a different experience, but it should have been a genuine how you welcome. So that I realized then that it was kind of a a surface. You know, I talk about the difference between transformational and transactional. And I think that one of the things we want to talk about is how do we make sure we don't get caught up in transactional things when it comes to our churches collaborating. Some of that's important, Mm -hmm. but that we begin really to make a commitment to move in some transformational, which is more costly and it does require relationships to be fostered and built. And so let's talk about that. Uh, I've decided that I'm not taking those engagements anymore unless I can come and be my real self. Yes. And uh, I might go out on stage with my good trouble t-shirt on <laughs> and get in some good trouble. Yes. And, and you know, when I talk to my parishioners, that's where they are at work. Mm-hmm. That's where they are in various spaces that they are hanging out with our white brothers and sisters. It's they're beginning to really speak truth as, as to how they're really doing and feeling. And so. Pastor Moore, I know that the desire to enter into these sort of collaborative relationships from a white perspective is motivated by things that are very different from what motivates an African-American congregation to enter into these same relationships. And I imagine there's probably a little hesitancy or fear. And so from the perspective of an African-American pastor who may be thinking this through, what are some of the tips or what are some of the suggestions that you would give to an African-American pastor as they potentially step into this space? That's a great question. You know, I appreciate you allowing me to take that perspective. I would say to my brothers and sisters uh, who are part of the African-American experience that it's going to bless your ministry. Because let me tell you something, my brothers, your parishioners, especially if you want to recruit young people to your church, they want multicultural relationships. They went to school in those relationships. They thrive in those relationships. And so when they see their pastor involved in a collaborative and impactful relationship with a white pastor and moving the congregation to have those kind of relationships, it's going to send a very positive message to your young people and the families in your church 
and it's going to grow your church. So I encourage you to step out because I think that's something your parishioners want you to do. Mm -hmm. I also would say take some time over coffee and find the right pastor, one that you really feel a partnership with and a brotherhood with. Because I've sat across the table from many pastors, but this relationship that God gave me with Jeff has been something that has matured, or I should say has been realized over time and many times of failure. But hey, don't give up. There are some good white brothers out there that genuinely want a relationship and want to walk with you. And so I think it's going to not only bless your ministry, it's to listen, our white brothers need us as we need them. They just need a brother, someone that could help coach them and make them aware and help them take those steps in the direction that God wants us to go. And so I say to them, to my brothers and sisters in the African-American experience, let's make ourselves available. Let's go and invite ourselves at the table of our white brothers and sisters so that we can grow our ministries, grow ourselves, and better the lives and the environment for our children. When we were in our, you know, sort of initial conversations, what were you looking for and what were you not looking for in knowing that this relationship could go forward? Well, I was looking for a genuine brotherhood. That was the first thing I was looking for. Secondly, I was looking very transparently. A lot of young African-American families are leaving the black church, going into some of these larger white churches, mainly because of the amenities, but because they are seeking multicultural experiences. And so I am trying to build relationships with someone that could help me create an environment at New Era, whereby they felt like they could get that at New Era and they didn't have to go to common ground or to whatever other ministry that is in their minds, multicultural, multi-ethnic. And so, so it's both personal, but also trying to grow our ministry and maintain our growth. What would have been a red flag in our relationship if we would have kind of been having this coffee and would there have been anything that you would say, hey, this is a kind of a red flag for moving forward in this relationship? Yeah, I think that the red flag would have been your response to some of my statements about racism and white privilege. If you threw up walls. But I do think those are important things because like defensiveness, if you can't be authentic without this sense of like deflection or defensiveness or yeah. you don't know me or I'm <laughs> way farther down the road than you think or you know what I mean? I think. Those yeah. are important pieces to, to think about where you're putting yourself into a space where you're going to be vulnerable. I just think it's really helpful for you to be able to share those things. Absolutely. I think as we talk about these practical steps, let's go beyond the transactional things that normally happen, you know, book bags to mm -hmm. school kids and, and even mentoring or helping with after school programs. Let's go a little deeper than that and find out why is it that these kids can't afford their own school bags? Yep. You know, why is it they're living in poverty? Those are the things we got to begin to start addressing. So what are some practical steps that we've taken with our two congregations from your perspective? You know, I think the Be the Bridge team to me has been a very tangible way 
to see our two congregations come together. Maybe a little bit in the wake of our relationship, we've been able to invite some key leaders from both of our congregations who are very passionate about this conversation from both sides to begin to shape how, as congregations, we're going to take steps forward. And so even in some ways, the things that we're doing congregationally aren't necessarily now being led just by us. We've invited congregants in to help shape the direction that we should go. And they're always very, you know, collaborative with us as well, but they're generating a lot of these ideas. And when we first started to put these two teams together, I think we have four people from our congregation, four people from your congregation. Right. And they're kind of our bridge building team is what we're calling them. What was really interesting to me was some of the questions that your leaders had of me personally, right? but then also of our team. And I think it was really helpful for me before we agreed to do anything, we set expectations. And setting those expectations, I think, was probably, I wouldn't have thought necessarily we had to be as specific as we were, but there was a document. We had shared commitments. Sure did. We had, you know what I mean? There was this real, I would say, discernment process in the best way, particularly from the people in New Era Church, of common ground. Yes. Tell me a little bit why that posture and why that was so important. Yeah, because this was not our first rodeo in this arena with our white brothers and sisters and other white congregations. And so we wanted to know before we put totally our commitment to this thing of bridge building, that common ground was really sincerely going to stay in the race with us. And so back to the whole question of tokenism, we didn't want to be a feel-good group for our white brothers and sisters so they could check it off and say, well, I'm okay because I got a few black friends or da-da-da-da-da. We really wanted a genuine, relational, transformational relationship and collaboration. And so we said, hey, here are our expectations. Can you meet them? And then you guys also shared some expectations and they put it in a written form. But what I love about it is half the time I hear of things going on. I have no idea what they're doing, but they're going to, they're just working together. And it's, it's so beautiful. The other thing is our teams haven't actually been together in person because we started this in the midst of the pandemic. That's true. And so we only know each other through Zoom, huh? in the Zoom space. And we <laughs> finally have a date on the calendar yes. to get everybody together, which is exciting. But I do think their relationship to me now feels like when I hear our folks talk about their engagement with the team, they're using words that I used to describe our relationship. Wow. Awesome. And they're using that. It's meaningful. It's deep. It's challenging. It's accountable. It's mutual. And I think when I hear these words, I'm like, well, that's my friendship with Pastor Moore. And it feels like we've been able to kind of start that and then pass that on to our collaborative team. And I think from the perspective of a white congregation, the caution that your folks had towards us could have felt like suspicion and could have been taken, received from our team as, well, you don't trust us? And I think that there is this sometimes underlying assumption that when white churches are ready to do something, that the door should just be open and we should just go do this. And you should be really excited that we are here to have a conversation on race. 
<laughs> and it was so mature of your team to, and I love what Paul tells Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And they were not hasty in blessing this. They took a step back and they asked really good questions. Yes. We didn't want our white brothers and sisters to feel like they got a trophy. Yep. Because they decided to go down this road together. You know, I, I was told that by my wife one time, she was telling me where I was having some shortcomings and I, I basically felt like that I was doing a pretty good job. And I said, I do this, I do that, I do that. And she says, so you want a trophy for doing what you ought to do? And so that was very important to our team to know that the common ground brothers and sisters were willing to allow us to challenge them and to see where their hearts really, really were. And so they came up with this list of expectations. That was a very practical step. And then what was the second thing we did? I know that they started some kind of a prototype of a book study. Yeah, kind of one of the good curriculums that are out there right now for Christians to have conversations of consequence across racial lines is called Be the Bridge. And it's been a very helpful tool that has been able to foster conversation. It's very systematic. It starts in what is race, what is racism, what is white privilege, and it just kind of walks through the whole process. Wow. Mm -hmm. And from our side, I've been able to, to just talk to the additional people that we've brought in congregationally. So we started with this bridge building team, and then we wanted to start expanding congregationally. And so this group was a way for us to invite more congregants into a very I don't want to say controlled, but a real defined space mm -hmm. where the curriculum directs the conversation, which I think is really helpful. If you just sit down in a room and like, well, what do you think about it? Well, what do you think about it? Versus having something that is kind of neutral guiding the conversation has just been really, really rich for our congregants to participate. And I've talked to a number of them and they just said it's been a fabulous, fabulous study. Yeah, we have congregants that are in line waiting for the opportunity to get into some of these small groups. And so that's another practical step is beginning the process of creating some small groups made up of both churches Yes, to begin and using this curriculum to allow us to have that intentional but yet very impactful conversation around social justice. And one of the things that we have tried to be very careful about is making sure that we're setting congregants up for success when they get to that space of collaboration and making sure that on our side that we've got some systems in place that help to bring some awareness to our congregation as a whole around racism and how you know we need to sort of deal with some of those things on our side before we have relationship in those spaces. And so we've got some practical experiences, readings, classes that we're hoping that our entire congregation will be able to participate in, in anticipation of these next steps of collaboration with New Era. But we just realized that on our side, it's important that everybody gets set up for success and that we're not throwing people into conversations that they've not yet been able to be prepared for. And so the last time our teens uh, had us on to share with the pastors their progress and some of their hopes and dreams for the rest of 2021 and 2022, I began to hear four levels of relationship and collaboration. And so 
as we're talking to those that may be listening to us, uh, the first level that they felt was important was that of awareness. And you talked about that, the book studies and bringing in people, subject matter experts. The second level was that of action. The third level was that of accountability. And then the fourth level of that was going to be at some point some advocacy. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, and we've been talking over the last few episodes about the importance of awareness, you know, getting in proximity with someone that is different than you and the awareness begins to be enlightened. You begin to learn some things you didn't know that you didn't know. Mm-hmm. But talk to me from your perspective, Jeff, how those four steps, how you think that common ground is going to be at the table in this practical approach to collaborating between our two churches. Yeah, those are sort of the framework that we're using is those awareness, action, accountability, advocacy. And for us, the awareness piece is, like I was saying earlier, it's taking some responsibility for making ourselves aware of what is really happening. And so that for us is historical and it's theological and it's cultural. So all of those pieces are how we feel like as a congregation that we fulfill our relational responsibility to new era by doing some of that work ourselves yeah, and creating spaces for people to have some of that awareness. Can I jump in here? Because I do think this is where most white congregations fail. I don't think they ever get beyond that first step. Because awareness sometimes may create some emotions that you're not wanting to really confront. And so I would like for you to, again, to reiterate from your perspective why it's important that we even allow that first step to germinate in our spirit of becoming aware of the reality of the lack of justice in America. Because we need to be able to sit in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Yeah. And if we don't feel the reality of your experience, then we cannot adequately walk with you as we look at these other A's. If we cannot be empathetic, then it's hard for us to become advocates. It's hard for us to live in accountability. And honestly, we have to do that work because it's very emotional. I mean, when you start to peel back the layers, if you've had the privilege of living outside of the real history that's gone on and the real current situation that's happening around us, if you have the privilege to stay blind to that, then once those blinders come off, it's an emotional experience. And that experience in an emotional space, in a a space with other African-American brothers and sisters, can become a real awkward, you know, we need to deal with that kind of thing in our own space and the real emotions and the pain and the hurt that goes with that. Yeah. I heard a lot of my friends get to that place of awareness and I was really glad to hear them say, I just want to hear. I just need to listen. I haven't listened. Now I see that we do have a problem. So I think that's important that I am beginning to see more of my white brothers begin to say, hey, I want to become more aware. What book should I be reading? Mm-hmm. And I do see that happening. So maybe this is a good place to ask this question. So what about those pastors and those brothers and sisters that really want to become more aware, but they geographically, they're just not in an environment where there are many African-Americans in their arena, but yet they do want to begin to understand better 
how they can become proponents of change in our culture. How can they become more aware and what can they do in that awareness step where there may not be any Black people in their church or in their community? How would you address that with that listener today? Technology is such that there's lots of resources out there that we can find resources to help us in our awareness process. There are lots of books being written right now. There are lots of podcasts that are happening right now where we can do our own work, even if we can't be in proximity relationally with someone who is not like us. I want to make sure that we don't use, well, I don't see any African-Americans around me as an excuse to not have to have the conversation. We all need to be engaged in this conversation because we live in a country that has a narrative that we're all influenced by, and we need to exchange that story with the Jesus story. But we need to know what the true story of our nation's history is, and we can find that information. It's available. And so I think it may even be a little more self-motivating for the person who doesn't have a African-American pastor in close proximity to them, you have to take a little bit extra step. You have to try a little bit harder. You have to want to a little bit more because your community may give you the easy excuse to not have to pursue really doing the work of being aware of racism in our country. Yes. And so in this practical approach to our collaboration, we wanted to move from awareness to action. So talk a little bit about that with us, Pastor Jeff, because I think when we talk about action, you know, we're going beyond the trips to Africa, the mission trips to, you know, those places. Those are important. Mm-hmm. But what action can our white brothers and sisters take? So what do you think some of the things that we're going to be doing as we take practical steps in our collaboration? What are some of the actions? Yeah. So one of the things that I'm excited about for us in this collaboration is our two Be The Bridge teams are going to take a trip together and go to Montgomery and experience some of the shared history from both sides of the racism spectrum and have that you know lived experience together. There's wow. the intellectual space, but yeah. then there's that lived space that I think changes us in ways that just reading a book can't. That's exciting. Oh, man. I, you know, I have to admit, I didn't know that, you know. So that is great to hear. That's a great action step. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I do think there's another action step for what I understand is that we're literally going to leave our spaces of worship and we're going to go out to a park and we're going to basically bring our congregations together. Hundreds of us. Yes. Yeah, it'll probably be more than we could ever think. We'll be out in the park worshiping together. And for the African-American church, you know, that's a great risk because when folk don't come to church, then they don't always bring their offerings wherever else you're going. Mm. So, uh, (laughs) but hey, we're taking this action because we think it's important that we find ways to really do things together. And so we're going to be going out. I think it's in September sometime. Yes. We're going to have church in the park. And I think, you know, for us, that communicates, again, the practical step of our relationship which is we don't want to have a pulpit exchange. We want to get our churches together. Right. Right. This isn't just about your preacher and my preacher, your choir, my choir. It's like our people right, together seems like the best way to do something like that. Absolutely. So as we continue to look at these levels of collaboration and the practical steps of our congregations getting together, we talked about these four A's. The third one that we think are kind of giving us some boundaries is that of accountability. And 
one of the areas, and I'll just be very transparent, we have challenged uh, Common Ground. Uh, New Era Church has challenged Common Ground and saying, you know, you have this core group that is meeting, but there's not a white male in that group. And we've been holding you guys accountable in that arena. Talk a little bit about that. And because, you know, that's the kind of conversations we have. We keep it real. Yep. And it's very fair. We have three women and one of them is African-American. One of them is white and one of them identifies as non-white. And so we have good female representation. And the honest answer is that we need white men to to be a part of this. And that's, I think, true, not just in our relationship, but I think in general. Absolutely. That's when things start to happen. And a little bit of it was circumstantial, not intentional. We have white men who want to be a part of this, but as we started, we felt like we didn't want too many cooks in the kitchen as we got our relationship started, but we definitely need to increase representation and particularly with white males because they tend to be the ones that lag behind or leave this conversation. Yeah, I think that's going to be critical. And as we move together, I think that there are going to be some of our white brothers in the common ground congregation that are going to rise to the top and become a part of that core group. I'm very hopeful. I've often said that there are certain circles that we could go in and and cry and holler about injustices, and we won't be heard unless we have our white brothers Mm -hmm. in that space with us. So we will talk about accountability. These are the kind of issues that we talk about, and we are very transparent. And I think that that's going to be important as we go down this road together. And then that last step is a difficult step. It's called advocacy. And you and I have had some thoughts around that is how our congregations can come around some things as it relates to advocacy. Talk a little bit about that from your perspective. I just think there are policies and laws that are put in place that advantage some to the disadvantage of others, that advantage whiteness to the disadvantage of populations of color and marginalized populations. And part of what we have the power to do is think about advocacy in shaping policy that brings equality. And oftentimes we get outraged when our, you know, space is infringed upon and we're very quick to be advocates for the things that are important to us. But, and this is where the gospel and where our accountability comes in. We have been called to take that power and leverage it on behalf of those who don't have a voice. And that's where I feel like that sort of white male power really in our country as Christians, we have a responsibility to use that on behalf of those who don't have a voice. Yes. One area that is happening right now as we speak is we have a growing murder rate here in the city of Indianapolis. Mm. And the black church can't solve this issue by ourselves because the barriers and the deprivation is a result of decades and even centuries of economic injustice. And so my point is this, is that there are places that Pastor Moore is invited to that I hope you'll be willing to walk through the doors with me as my brother when it's time to sit with the mayor or I get called to sit down with the governor. I think that walking in a room with you and as I think about other pastors maybe listening to this space, there are places that you 
could help broach and help open doors. Because some of these power brokers are in your churches. They're sitting in your pews. Yes. The people that make the laws, the people that own the corporations, the people that run the schools or the foundations that fund certain initiatives. And so this is where our relationship, we can begin to walk together and advocate for those that are in our community. Mm. And I'm looking forward to that. And that's the gospel mandate. That's the church. Whenever you have done it, Jesus says, and I think that's where our responsibility, but it can't happen unless we're in relationship with those who are in need. And so from our perspective as a congregation, one of the great blessings of this last two years has been the relationship that we have with New Era Church. And we are so excited about what the future holds for us. We are just in the beginnings of this and the sparks of new life seem to be starting to grow and there's energy and excitement. And I would just say to white pastors that there are people in your church who would get really excited and supportive if you were moving in this direction. And they may not have shown themselves yet. They may not know that this is something that you're considering. They may not know that it's something that's on your heart. But I know that there are people in your church that if you started moving in this direction, would be excited to join you and support you and encourage you and pray for you. And that's been my experience. And it's just been a real joy and an honor for Common Ground, our congregation, to become more and more united with New Era Church? Well, it has been our blessing to be in collaboration and partnership. And thank you for your commitment to the long-term journey that we are taking as we ready ourselves one day to stand before the Lord and hear him say, well done, thy faithful servant. Thank you for listening to the Shades of Hope podcast, part of the Center for Congregations podcast network. If you like this episode and think it would be helpful for others, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes.